what this Built Different series is about is that we are, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And we have been given this identity in Christ. And we've been called to look different. We've been called to love different. We've been called to live different. And we've been called really to, right now, reclaim what it looks like for us to live this life in this world. And I believe once we do reclaim that, that God will transform us and he'll transform the society around us. And so today what I'm talking about is is character. Talking about character and chaos. Talking about character and purpose. And specifically, I'm talking about character and environments that are difficult to thrive in. I believe that God has, has designed us to produce fruitful character in the midst of chaos. Anybody believe that this morning? I said this morning, this evening. But really, I'm, I'm here to speak to something specific today and to someone specifically today who may think that maybe they don't have a purpose, that maybe God hasn't called them, and that the difficulty of your current situation or current environment actually is evidence necessary for you to believe that maybe you're not useful. Maybe God doesn't have a purpose for you. Maybe God does not have a call for you. And I just want to speak some truth to a lie tonight, that you are uniquely and wonderfully made, that you do have a calling, that you do have a purpose, that you, you are beloved and you are valuable to God. And the fact that you are going through a difficult situation and that you are in an undesirable place may actually be the evidence necessary for us to, to say that you actually may have not just a calling, but a greater calling on your life. And God is using the environment, God is using the situation to produce some character in you so that he can accomplish this great call and this great purpose that he has for you in your life. And so today we're going to be looking at a familiar passage, Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read through that, but I believe God wants to speak to us through that and to help us to see some things that he did in Daniel and that Daniel walked through that are kind of applicable to us in our life. You guys okay this evening? You sure? All right, here we go. So we're going to read this passage. We're going to read this uh, entirety of Daniel chapter 1. So would you stand with me in the reverence of God's word? And I'm going to try to get through it as fast as I can. It says here, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Then the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those who were chosen were uh, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. 
Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to, to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid, my Lord, my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our our appearance with that of young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in according with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and he gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered into the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's God's word to us today. Let's pray real quick. Thank you, Father, for your word. Holy Spirit, come and help us tonight. Change us, transform us, do something fresh in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you guys for your patience in in getting through that. So in the first couple of verses, what what we see here, um, I've I've titled this point, Constructed Chaos. And what what we're seeing here is, is something very interesting. It says in verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar, he seized Judah. And then we see in verse 2, it says that the Lord actually delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So my first question I asked of the text was, well, God, which one is it? Was it Nebuchadnezzar who actually seized Judah, or was it you that delivered Judah into his hand? And as you read through um, Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and uh, Jeremiah and their, and their accounts of this moment in Chronicles and Kings, what we see is that actually both are true. But the reality is, is that if both are true, there's one that reigns supreme, and the one that reigns supreme is that God has had ordained it, that God had allowed it, that God in his so- in sovereignty saw fit that this would be something that he has orchestrated for his people. And this is where we find Daniel. Daniel is here in the midst of this exile of his people for something really he didn't do before what his people did in their disobedience towards God. We find Daniel here in the midst, forcibly removed from his home in a foreign land. And I was wrestling with this because this is not an uncommon thing for for God to do. As a matter of fact, it's a very common thing for God to do to take his people through some stuff to do something in them, to reveal whatever he needs to reveal in them. Whether it's to get their attention, whether it's to test their character, whether it's to discipline them, maybe it's just to prune them for their next step in life, maybe it's just for the culture at large. We see God taking his people through stuff 
And it may very well be like the, the enemy that, that is actually doing something, or it may be our own stupidity that's seemingly impeding our improvement or pushing back our progress in our life. But make no mistake, every time or most of the time, God is behind the scenes and he has orchestrated this moment and he's allowed it for a reason. And it's a, it's a troubling truth, especially if you're going through something very difficult right now. To hear that, that God, in, God has actually ordained something in your life that's unpleasant. But what we see in Scripture, if you will allow me some time to kind of survey just quickly, that for anything, that for anyone that God does anything with of note in, Bible, in the Bible, he takes them through some stuff. Let's survey the Bible really quickly. But like if you, you start with Abraham. I'll start with Abraham. Abraham, who's, who's, he's been deemed and named the father of many nations. And, and God says, I'm going to make your name great, but he doesn't have a son. So your descendants are going to be as, as many as you can see or you can count in the stars. But he doesn't have a son. And he's 100 years old and he's, he's waiting for this promise. And finally, God delivers this promise. And as he delivers the promise, as his son grows up, God says, I want you to take this, this thing you've been waiting for your entire life. I want you to take your son. I want you to sacrifice this promise, son of yours. All right, what, what, why, God, why would, you, why would you do that, right? And we see him doing that, and at the moment that he's about to sacrifice his son, God provides a ram in the thicket. We continue. I can talk about Joseph and his life, this man with, with, many, with many dreams and the coat of many colors, and he's this, this Awesome guy with a, a great destiny on his life, but he tells the wrong people. He tells his brothers, and his brothers want to kill him, and they ultimately sell him into slavery. And then he goes in, into his servitude with Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife says, this dude tried to sleep with me when he didn't. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's now in Egypt, and then he becomes the, the second in command to Pharaoh. And then he says, man, what, what, God, what God allowed in this moment was meant for evil, but God used it for my good here. But God took him through something. We got the Israelites being led by God out of slavery for 400 years, and they, they end up being led to the Red Sea with their enemy chasing behind them. And you wonder, like, why, God, are you, are you doing this in this moment? And you're leading in here. But God was trying to actually get the Egypt out of them, even though he had got them out of Egypt. But he was doing something. And even after he freed them and took them through the Red Sea, he then led them into the wilderness because he wanted to do something and get something out of his people. I, I'm going to just keep going because I feel like I want to make sure you guys get the point what I'm trying to make here, right? We got David. And David is just minding his own business. He's just out there with his sheep and his guitar, and he's playing better as one day in your courts, Lord. He didn't ask God to come and anoint him king, but God, for some reason, said, this is my God. This is my God that's after my heart. And then for the next 15 years of his life, he's having to run for his life because this insecure king in Saul wants to, wants to have his head on the stick. But God was doing something in, in David through that, trying to do something and grow him up. Ultimately, we have Jesus Great picture that Jesus paints for us many different ways. You know, he, he gets baptized. And what happens after he gets baptized? It says he is led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness. My goodness, Lord, why are you doing this? So he leads them into the wilderness, and for 40 days, he's, he's not eating, he's not drinking, and he's basically at his weakest point, and then the enemy comes to tempt him. He's doing it for a reason. But we have this Jesus who's this, or, or this, this how am I say this correctly? Jesus is, is fully man, fully God. He's, he's God incarnate. He comes in the flesh. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. I mean, he is who he is, and, and bef- he's the king of kings and lord of lords. But before Jesus can ascend to the throne and become our resurrected king, he has to go to the cross and die. So what we see in all of these stories, and I could keep going and we could, we could be here all night talking about this, but what we see in all of these moments are really two things that are a common thread. One, God takes them through some stuff. And two, God is behind it. I'll say that again. One, God takes them through some stuff. And two, God is behind it. And what we see also is that Daniel is sharing really the same common thread that God has taken him through some stuff. And, and yes, God is behind it. As a matter of fact, we, we actually see that Daniel knows that God is the one that's behind it because Daniel is the one that's writing Daniel. This is a first person account of Daniel's life that he's writing for us that we can see. And Daniel was saying, look, I know that Nebuchadnezzar is the one who sees Judah, but I also know that it was God who allowed this to happen. So although I may be in the, in the custody of Nebuchadnezzar, I know that I'm actually in the will of God. And he wrote this. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure whether Daniel wrote this in that, in that moment or if he knew it in that moment or if he wrote this later as, as he found out or figured out through his life that God was in control in that moment. But he wrote this in such a way that to inform us as his readers of what I'm informing you tonight, that there's this truth that I want you to get, that if you're in the middle of a trial, or maybe you just came through a trial, or maybe you're about to enter into a trial, because those are really our three scenarios that we have, I don't want you to miss the truth that even though the enemy is on you and the world is against you and you've created a mess or you're living in somebody else's mess, God is still sovereign. And your life is still in God's hands. And he's organizing and he's orchestrating the chaos that's in your life. And he has quite possibly placed you exactly where he wants you to be, exactly where you are, in the middle of a mess. And it may not be where you want to be, but it's where God needs you to be to become the person that God has designed you to be. Phil, I need you to get this kind of deep down in your souls the way that God has put this deep down in my, souls, in my soul through the stuff that he's walked me through. Because if you don't, I feel like you're going to miss God in the moment. Because many of us are, are really in like a, our Esther for such a time as this type of moment. And if you, and if you don't get this, your, your initial inclination is to run away or to push away the season that God has placed you in. But God has plans for you in this moment, in this trial, to change you so that you can be changed and change the culture around you. And this is, this is my fresh revelation that I had because I can't, I can't count how many times I've heard people tell me, talking about our current culture and raising kids in our current climate, that they've said, man, I, I would never want to raise kids in this day and age. Like, this is so difficult. 
I mean, you, you are, I can't believe that you're going to try and do this. And so many times it has sparked fear in my soul because I'm, I'm questioning, can I, can I do this? I mean, the, the culture, the cultural climate is, is a mess and it's difficult raising kids in this day and age. But I felt like God in this moment has renewed and revived my, my heart and my soul and my faith in him that, that he provides where he places and, and positions people. And he has called me at this place at this time with these kids. And he has empowered me with his spirit and he's renewed my mind with his word. And he's given me everything that I need to be able to raise these kids in the admonition of the Lord. And I'm not naive, right? I'm not naive about the world that I'm raising my kids in, but I'm also not in fear of the world either because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I have faith in Christ because he has overcome the world. Man, the winds will blow, the rains will come, but I am founded and grounded on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to raise my boys to be founded and grounded on that same rock. And so I have faith to believe this. And Psalm 23 says it like this, that in verse four, that he has, he, he um, prepares a table for us, for you in the presence of your enemies. It's in that place where he anoints the head with oil and the cup overflows. And I don't want you to kind of hear it, right? Because it's in this place where you are surrounded by your enemies, where it's, it seems very scary and very dark and very daunting that, that God places you there. He actually reserves a seat for you in this moment. And that's where he sits you down and he begins to begin to pour his oil on you as you're pressed in the moment and you begin to grow spiritually and you begin to, to grow with the fire of the Lord inside of you. And he anoints you with his presence and his power and that's what God does in that moment. And I just want to get you to understand this, that if you run away from the moment that God has placed you in, man, you're going to miss the anointing and the power of God that he wants to put inside of you in your life. He's placed you here to produce something in you. Orchestrated chaos, constructed chaos in your life. It's interesting that, that God orchestrates this chaos for, for Daniel and his friends, and, and we get to see how Daniel responds to it. And what God wants to do, what God does in Daniel, what Daniel does in this moment is something I feel like God is speaking to us as well. And because of time, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but here's our context, right? In verses, verses three through eight, we have Daniel and his three, his three friends, they're taken captive. It's probably along maybe 5,000 to 10,000 other people that are in this first exile, in Babylonia, and it's possibly their, their families were, were, maybe, were maybe even killed in this siege. We're not sure, but they're 14 to 17 years old, and now they're being trained up to serve this foreign king in a foreign land. It's a very decent probability that they were castrated as they're serving the chief of eunuchs, and now they're, they're here, and they've been emasculated, and, and they're eunuchs, and they're being indoctrinated in the Babylonian arts and literature and the culture, and the mag black magic and government and all these different things and their names have even been changed and part of this indoctrination process. Every single piece of their previous ident identity has been stripped away. And the king of Babylon has designs to change their desires for his kingdom instead of God's kingdom. 
consume the culture. He's like, drink, drink my food. I mean, drink my wine, eat my food from the table. It's the best stuff that you can have. And once you've assimilated fully, I'm going to send you out into your spheres of influence. I'm going to send you out so that you can tell the whole world how glorious my kingdom is. That's his desire. So Daniel makes a decision in verse 8 where he says he resolves in his mind not to drink the wine or eat the food from the king's table. And to some degree, you can actually kind of hear Daniel say, you know what? Enough is enough. He's drawing a line kind of in the sand and he's, he's like he understood that like he, he cannot change his current situation. He's not walking out of his current situation. He's accepted the reality that this is what it is, that he's a, he's a eunuch now. And he says, cool, you know what? I'll take, I'll take your secular education. I'll take your training. I'll work in your world. All of these things I cannot control. But the one thing that I can control is that I can control whether or not I'm going to defile myself. He said, you can, you can defile me but I'm not going to defile myself. And listen, not all of the food on the table was bad, right? It, it's, it's, it's not like everything that was presented on the king's table was something that he could not eat. It wasn't like it was a religious kind of pushback for him. In that moment, like he, he, it wasn't a law against everything that was on the table, it's especially there wasn't a law for him not to, to drink wine. It, was, it wasn't morally questionable or illegal for him to have wine from the table. And so you're, you're reading this and you're just asking, like, why are you making this decision, Daniel? But all, all we can see is that Daniel was saying, look, I know that this is a line that I have to draw. And this is, this is going to be unhealthy for me spiritually. This is going to be unhealthy for me physically. If I eat this food, if I drink this wine, I feel like I'm going to completely lose myself in this environment, and I'm not going to know who I am, and I'm not going to know who my God is. And so he decides in his mind, and he follows with his heart and actions, and he says, I am not going to stain or taint my own soul. Because I have a calling. I have a purpose. I want it to be used by God. So sometimes we, sometimes we miss this when we, we read this story. And there were more than just Daniel and his three friends that were, that were in this service, that were pulled from their homes and their palaces and their places in Jerusalem to serve in Babylonia. There were many other young men with the same background in the trenches with Daniel and his friends. And it's easy to gloss over the fact that even though they were removed from their own places and forced into this new world, they were now, listen, they were now getting the best education that was available. Think about the training that they're getting. I mean, they, hey, you can go to Harvard. You can go to the Yale. We're going to train you here. You can go to NC State, the greatest campus ever created. You can go to the, the best physical trainers. We're going we're gonna to get you physically fit. I mean, they could eat at D.C. Prime every night or at Chima Steakhouse. They can do all of these things. And it was only four that actually made a decision that they were going to do something different. What happened to the rest of these young men? It, it states that they all were eating and, and drinking the food from the king's table. Is it possible that they were compromised by the culture? Is it possible that they were compromised by this new comfort that was offered to them in the moment? 
Listen, our experience is not unlike Daniel's. Like we, we may be in the world, but not of it, but we are still under constant indoctrination here in this world, in our culture. We are constantly being bombarded with the morality of our culture, and we got, we got arts, we got literature, we got all of these things that they were being indoctrinated with. I mean, you can go to your phone right now, and as soon as you cut it on on Instagram or IG, you can scroll through it, and you are immersed in it forever. Who can stop scrolling when they get on Instagram? I don't see any hands, right? Because no one can. It's impossible. And we can be blinded by it, addicted to entertainment and to the comfort of it all mastered by it until our identity in, in Christ begins to slowly e- evaporate. And where people will look at us and look at our lives and maybe look at our IG and they can't differentiate between us and somebody else who doesn't confess to be a Christian. That's what the ruler of this world, very much like Nebuchadnezzar, our enemy is trying to accomplish in our lives. He wants to change our desires so that we want his kingdom more than we want God's. And we have to make a decision every day, probably, will I allow my character to be compromised by the culture or will my character as a Christian counter the culture? That's our decision. Compromised by the culture or countering the culture. And I think for all of us, there is a, there is a line, right? We, we know there's a line for us may not be for everybody the same line, but we know, hey, I cannot cross this line. There's a sign that says for me, like, like, don't enter here, man. Danger on this road, man. Stop. Don't proceed. And we need to become like Daniel and make a determination, make a decision. And it's not going to happen by accident that we need to resolve to say, hey, look, not today. I will not defile myself today. This is a line that I will not cross. Like God is up to something in my life and I'm not going to throw it all away. Listen, I can be hated, but I'm not going to hate myself. Like I can be hurt by somebody, but I'm not going to hurt myself. I can be surrounded by nonsense, but I'm not going to allow my surroundings to desensitize me to the presence of our holy God. And I'm going to change my perspective I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus, and I'm going to have that, that Joshua type of, of resolve in my soul that's like, you know what, you can serve your gods. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen, this is practical stuff here. Like, we got to make a decision whether or not we're going to watch certain things on, on the screens of our life. We got to start drawing lines as to what type of news we're going to watch because it's not great for our soul. What type of conversations we're going to engage in because it's not healthy for us as we try to live this life. We have to figure out what can I consume and what should I not consume because it's going to harm me and it's going to hurt my family. It's going to hurt my future. We need resolve. But how do you get this resolve? Do you just conjure it up? Is this something you can, you can get in your own strength to kind of live countercultural to the world? How do you get it? I feel like you guys know the answer. You need more than just your own grit, your own, your own strength. Otherwise, we all be doing it already, right? But what I love about Daniel is what came out of Daniel in the moment when he was pressed was what was already inside of him. And what was inside of Daniel was the word. He had growing up You can see he had the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and he had Proverbs, probably, probably. He probably had these things memorized in his mind. I was reading Proverbs 4 today, and I was like, 
probably Daniel was reading Proverbs chapter 4. Because it talks about everything that he is facing and going through right now. And it's just like, man, seek wisdom, man. Guard your heart. He's like, don't, don't follow the, the wicked ways and drink food, drink wine from their tables and drink and eat food from the tables. This is what is saying in Proverbs chapter four that I read this morning. And I was like, man, I'm sure that Daniel had that verse memorized. And this was something that helped him in the moment to say, you know what? There's something different. I got to live differently. There's boundary lines that God has created. And this is why we say from the stage pretty much every Sunday here in Chantilly and in Sterling is like, read your Bible every day. Like, how can you know what to do and what not to do? How can you know what God has prescribed for you if you don't pick up the one thing that God has left for us that's there to guide us in this life right now? His word. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4 says this. Just his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Love this passage. Everything you need for life and godliness is found what? Where? In the knowledge of him. How do you get the knowledge of of God? You get it in his word. And it says that you have these great and precious promises that you can participate in the divine nature and that you can escape the corruption of the world. Listen, if you're looking to contend against this culture and you're looking to escape the the, uh, corruption that we see of this world, how do you do it? You do it by getting in his word. And then secondly, what what I see in Daniel is that Daniel had a squad, man. He had a squad. Like, how do you maintain Christian character in a compromised culture? You need a squad. Right? You need to have people. You need friends. I mean, Daniel was telling the story, and he is not telling the story without mentioning his boys. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. I love this passage in 1 Corinthians where it says, bad company corrupts good character. You know why I love this passage? Because it is true, one. But I love the opposite of this is that if bad company can corrupt good character, what does good company do for your character? Good company commends character. If you want resolve, man, you need right relationships. You need the right people in your life. You got to figure out how you can unyoke yourself to those who are not helping you or going in the same place that you're trying to go. And for goodness sake, join a small group. Can I just say that out loud, right? Get in a small group. Stop wasting time. If you can't find one that fits your time slot, start a small group that fits a time slot. But get in a small group. I mean, I can stay there all day because I love small groups. But, um, but what happens when we begin to live counterculturally? What we see is God doing something in Daniel and through Daniel and commending his character before other people. Again, it's the rest of the chapter. I'm not going to read it all. But what, what you see is Daniel has favor with the chief eunuch, and he asks for no food, and he asks for no wine. He says, just feed us, man. Feed us grain and feed us vegetables. And just give us 10 days. Give us 10 days. And if after 10 days, 
You take a look at us, and if we don't look good, like, do whatever you got to do to us. And so the chief gave them 10 days as requested. And we see in verse 15 of chapter 1, he says, At the end of the 10 days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Better than any of the young men who, who compromised their character and gave in to the comfort of the culture. Daniel and his friends were also given more insight, more wisdom, more knowledge than anyone else in the kingdom. All because they made a decision to live for God. This is an incredible revelation for me because I feel like for those who, who want to see God move mightily in your life, who need to see God move, who need to hear from God, who needs God to give them wisdom, to give them revelation, to give them deeper understanding, more joy, more peace of mind, to be filled with the spirit, to walk in his spirit, to walk in freedom, to have freedom. Might the answer just be that you need to change your diet? the diet of your heart, the diet of your soul, the diet of your mind, adjust what or who you might be consuming on a daily basis. And I believe by the spirit of God today that if you were to begin to care about what you are consuming and you begin to set your mind towards the word and begin to live it out, man, I believe that you will walk in a greater overflow of God's spirit in your life, that you'll have greater wisdom and revelation for the way God wants you to live your life. And I believe God will move and he will pour out his spirit and he will do things in you that you never thought were possible. Even in the middle of environments that are less than conducive for you to thrive. Why? Because nothing is impossible for our God, right? Amen to that. I'm going to close with this passage here. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 11 says this, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried out into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. I'll I'll stop there because God is basically saying that these, these prophets were these prophets were basically saying that this exile was not going to last a long time. And so God comes back in verse 9 and he says, They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. And you can put it back on the screen if you want to. Verse 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Amen to that, right? Everybody knows Jeremiah 29, 11, right? It's a popular scripture. It's quoted. It's probably all over your house, all over your, you know, bathroom walls and whatever it is. But I'm hopeful that today this gives you some context, a little more context of what God is really saying in this passage. 
mean, he's speaking to Daniel and everyone that went into exile with Daniel. But this passage is really speaking about God's sovereignty and his plans for his people. God, God himself had carried them into exile. And listen, he did not have plans to remove them from exile. At least not anytime soon. 70 years is how much time you have. And although it was an environment that, that they would not have chosen for themselves, and they certainly didn't like the environment, God chose it for them. He had reserved a spot for them just in this moment, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and he was in control of everything. Like, he had purposed them there. He had planned for them to be there, and his plan was not to harm them in this exile. His plan was actually to help them, and the pain that they were experiencing was actually designed for their prosperity, and he's just trying to give them some proper perspective of what's going on, and he's like, I don't want you to miss what I'm trying to accomplish here in your life through this, because if you do, you will shrink back. His actual words and his encouragement to them in the moment was, don't decrease. I want you to increase in this place. If you prosper in this place that I've put you, I will prosper you too, and then you can increase here, which is his goal. Man, he, you will transform yourself and the environment the environment will change. The city, the place that I've placed you will actually change. So what am, I, what am I saying? Like if you were here tonight and you're in a tough situation, you're in a tough environment and it is undesirable. And I'm speaking from a place of common pain. Let me say it like that. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's your neighborhood, maybe it's the the family situation. Let me encourage you that our our sovereign Lord has actually and probably, say quite possibly, placed you in that environment. And though you may feel like it's designed to harm you, he's actually fashioned it it specifically to prosper you. You may be looking for an exit, but God is actually looking to enter into this environment through you and your life. And he's looking to enter into your life even more now than ever before. And he wants to grow you spiritually. He wants to transform your character. He wants to change you through it so that he can change it through you. So what would happen if we all decided to become like Daniel? If we allow God to change our character through our trials, if we allowed God to to change our habits and what we consume on a daily basis, if we begin as individuals, yoking ourselves to other like-minded Christians with some resolve in their life, and we begin to renew ourselves in the Word on a daily basis, man, I think that the character produced in us would change our culture. I would, I think our world would look at us and say, like the chief eunuch said, that, that you guys look better. Amen. That looks better. And I pray tonight that, that, that something I, that I'm saying tonight will, will spark something in your soul, in your, in your heart, where you are going to make a decision to say, you know what, I, I want that. I want for my life to look better. I want not to run from the culture, but I want to be in it, but I want to see God use my life as a testimony for others to look and say, you know what, I want the better that you have. 
I believe God has, has better. In the beginning, I, I basically said, listen, I want to come for the lie that says you don't have purpose. You have purpose. God has called each and every single one of you to do something greater than you ever thought you could do. I say that full honesty. So whatever you may be thinking, whatever lie you may have been holding on to, whatever curse somebody may have said about you and your skills and ability and what you can accomplish, what you can't accomplish, I'm just going to call it a lie. I'm just going to say God has called you to something great. But what is, what is it going to take for you to do it in this culture, in our environment? It's going to take some resolve. It's going to take, it's going to take some friends. It's going to take the word of God. It's going to take you kind of setting some boundary lines for yourself and understanding what's going to defile you and not defiling yourself. I think if you do it, I do believe that your life's going to be better. And God's going to do better through you and change our world. Amen to that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for the character that you are trying to produce in all of us. You're trying to do something great in us and through us. In this church, we would be a city on a hill. That we would be a beacon of hope. That we would, have, we would be a banner for what it looks like to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, to live a life that's worthy. So I thank you, God, for everybody here. And I just pray, God, that everyone under the sound of my voice would, would, would have something sparked in their soul that says, you know what, I can, I can do that. I want the better that you have for me, Lord. And I pray by your spirit, God, that you would help us all to lean in to what you want to get out of us through every situation that you've placed us in. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you for your providence. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you for who you are in our life. Continue to pour out to every single one of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.